Howdy. What's going on? Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. It is heard live every day, by the way, from noon until 3 on WBT Radio in Charlotte. And if you want exclusive content, invitations to events, the weekly live stream, my daily show prep with links, become a patron. Go to thepetecalendarshow.com. This podcast is also supported by North Carolina businesses, so please consider supporting them. Try not to skip through their short ad. Make sure you hit the subscribe button to get every episode for free right to your smartphone or tablet. And thanks so much for your support. 704-570-1110, Maybe something I said. Maybe something that's on your brain. Maybe something you saw that we haven't mentioned yet. You're always welcome to be a part of the broadcast here at WBT. Appreciate the, the fine folks doing that. 704-570-1110 here at News Talk 1110-993-WBT. I, I, I promise I'll get to the Beaver story. I promise I will. One of the things that I do think that it is important for history, Robert Moffat has the piece at Real Clear Health, his version. There's, there's about 15 of these stories floating around. And it is amazing to me that something that, that, uh, that imprisoned the vast majority of the U.S. for two years or so, that really altered our fundamental way of life, that, that took away countless days of playing and growing for kids, that took away the final years of some elderly folks' lives, not just the death toll, but that, that took the time away from visiting and being a part that, that altered our concept of freedom and the way we look at masking and the way it divided us as a nation, that so quickly when it went out of view that we seemed to turn a, a blind eye to what the hell actually happened. It's, it's, it's like an episode of Star Trek where history changed and nobody noticed. Because we do need to get to the bottom of what occurred. I, I think it's critical for us in the future. We've got to restore faith and confidence in, in many institutions, not the least of which is the CDC. We need the CDC. We need the Center for Disease Control. You know, we trusted them with stuff like, you know, even AIDS, the research and what was going on with AIDS. We, we trusted that, and, be, and it became a catalyst for change and advancing the cause. We, we trust it when, when rest in Virginia and there's a, a potential outbreak of Ebola, a very deadly virus, or what's going on with a hantavirus out in the desert southwest. Uh, you know, when Lyme disease, we, we need to trust these institutions because we, we become better as a result of that. The World Health Organization completely undermined itself with fealty to China through this. We still don't know what happened with COVID. Next month, the House Select Subcommittee on Coronavirus Pandemic will interview Dr. Anthony Fauci, the former director of the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases. After two days behind closed doors interviews, the subcommittee will schedule a public hearing to take his sworn testimony. His testimony will doubtless cover a wide variety of topics ranging from masking to vaccine mandates, but rest assured that congressional investigators will zero in on what he knew about the origins of the pandemic. To secure a fully transparent accounting, House and Senate investigators are also pressing the administration to release key details about what Fauci and his colleagues knew about the origins and when they knew it, uh, about the origins of the pandemic and when they knew it. But Biden administration officials continue to stall the release of relevant information, offering transparently lame excuses to block congressional access. You have to wonder why. Why would you not want the American public to know? What possible reason would you have for blocking it? Team Biden's persistent lack of transparency on COVID has been nothing short of scandalous. Here's the latest. Exhibit A, blocking document disclosure. In October 2017, well before the outbreak of the pandemic, 
Dr. Ping Chen, NAIAID official, revisited the Wuhan Institute of Virology and prepared a trip report for top officials there. Senator Rand Paul and Ron Johnson, both Republicans, learned of the trip four years later and in August of 21 wrote HHS Secretary Xavier Bercera and Acting NIH Director Lawrence Tavick asking them to release the unredacted records of that visit to Wuhan. In response, HHS instead provided a heavily redacted copy of the report, plus redacted emails. In a subsequent briefing for Senate staff, Dr. Melanie Agoran, HHS Assistant Secretary for Legislation, said the redactions were for, quote, security reasons. But that excuse was incorrect because, as the senators noted, HHS had already conceded that national security was not an issue on those documents, and they were unclassified. Senator Johnson has since renewed his request to interview Dr. Chen and ask for a complete unredacted copy. Exhibit B, flaunting federal records rule. On June 11, 2021, Johnson, Paul, and three other Senate colleagues sent Secretary Bracero a letter requesting documents related to NIH officials' response to the pandemic origins. The senators had learned that Dr. David Morin's senior scientific advisor to Fauci had emailed Peter Dasnak, president of EcoHealth, asking in, in January of 2020, asking for any inside info on the novel coronavirus. Dasnak replied that NIAID had been funding coronavirus research for five years prior to 2020, and taxpayer monies had been funneled to the Wuhan Institute of Virology. For several years, Dasnak's controversial film had indeed gotten substantial funding and the Wuhan Institute of Virology had been a center of China's coronavirus. And I meant to say controversial firm, the firm he worked for, not the film. According to Senator Johnson's account, upon receipt of the letter in 2021, Morins told Dasnak and a small group of colleagues that he had retained very few documents on those matters. I have tried to make sure I have retained a document that might lead other members to be approached for similar document requests. Among those receiving the Gmail warning were three prominent virologists, so what we're finding as we untangle this web is that we were aware there was coronavirus research five years prior to 2020. We do know that Dr. Anthony Fauci had people over there visiting and that monies from the U.S. taxpayers flowed into that research. This all Now, you remember how when people tried to say it might have come from Wuhan Institute of Virology in Wuhan, where all of COVID started, that people, that people from CNN and MSNBC ridiculed those people? They thought it came from a bat cave near Wuhan. They thought it came from a, a wet market. They, they even, they, even a pangolin, which is a very strange little animal. It's kind of the Asian's version of a, of a giant armadillo. They tried to assert that it came from that even. They never could establish that when the most obvious way it made it into the popular, into our culture, into our lives, was because of a bad accident at Wuhan. There's the institute where they create and study viruses that had been studying coronaviruses. And then we have a, a coronavirus that gets released. So when you look through this, and it's, it's astounding to me that Fauci was able to rate the, the arrogance of Fauci to put down people who questioned him, the arrogance of Fauci to say, if you're denying me, you're denying science. I think that arrogance, it's funny, it was very embraced by the progressive left that Fauci was beyond, I have friends, friends, I have associates that still try to say it's, you, you can't really criticize Fauci. Yes, you can, and we should. And I'm hoping that the truth, we've got to get to the bottom of the truth because we don't want this to happen again. Senator Johnson and his colleagues do not have subpoena power. 
As he told this writer, I'm attempting to convince Chairman Blumenthal to issue subpoenas to the non-responsive agency. If that proves unsuccessful, you can rest assured that if I become chairman of the permanent subcommittee on investigations, subpoenas will be issued. Because, again, in the Senate, the Democrats still hold the power by one person. House Republicans do, however, have subpoena power on the House side. When Fauci testifies early next year before the House Select Subcommittee on the Coronavirus Pandemic, congressional investigators should probe his recollections. During his November 22 deposition in the federal case of Missouri versus Biden, Fauci said he could not recall 174 times in response to questions related to the COVID pandemic. Now, I want you to think of any interview you ever saw with Anthony Fauci during the pandemic and subsequent to it in public on any news station. Did you ever see him say, well, I don't really recall. But yet under oath, couldn't recall 174 times. And, 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 and again, it sounds like I'm indicting Fauci. I think he knows a lot more. I think he knows a great deal more about the origins. I do think he's connected to the origins. I think UNC is connected. And again, I don't want to sound like some kind of combative host on this, but I, I think it is absolutely critical with the lives that were lost, the lives that were altered, and the way it changed even education and set us back a decade. It's imperative that we find out what the hell actually happened. Right now, you know, and callers always come first. Robert, appreciate you staying on hold. You had a couple thoughts on authoritarianism. What's going on, Robert? Hey, Chad. Yes, um, just regarding the, the COVID discussion, um, there's a lot of talk about author- authoritarianism right now, particularly with President Trump. There was a lot of authoritarianism back uh, when COVID hit. Um, we knew very early on that COVID had a mortality rate of less than 1%. And we knew who was vulnerable to it. And yet these governors like Whitmer and our own Roy Cooper and our own Mandy Cohen here in North Carolina instigated these uh, these oppressive lockdowns and, and extended them for so much longer than they need than they needed to be extended. So um, I'm, I'm, I just uh, I, COVID was a colossal calamity and the Chinese need to need to be held accountable in any way possible. And. I'm, I'm a little bit, uh, I think this authoritarian uh, talk is a little bit rich based on what happened with COVID. Thank you very much. Well, Robert, I, I think much of what Robert said is spot on. I would add Cuomo to that list. Cuomo, yeah, and appreciate the call, Robert. Uh, Cuomo, look at what he did, forcing, you know, the, the way he handled rest homes and forced patients into places and shut them in, shut the most vulnerable populations in a an environment where it just it just ran rampant and killed far more. Uh, tens of thousands more than it need 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 to have. It's it's unbelievable. Mandy Cohen. It's amazing to me that that Mandy Cohen kind of aloofed her way to the head of the CDC, mainly because she she was the appeared to be the least damage of people. She she fit the bill, Democrat. I don't think she was thrilled at being in North Carolina. I'm not. I just friends of friends and people I knew in her orbit. She wanted to move on, and now she kind of failed upward. And you're right. I mean, the, the, what they did to kids and the lockdowns, I, I have a uh, on a school board for charter set of charter schools. And at one point, the way the toolkit was written, even in Brunswick County with a conservative, allegedly conservative county commission, I don't think they're very conservative and their spending proclivities are, are amazing. Uh, they spent so much money and they've done a good job of marketing themselves as not being or being conservative when they're not. But the health director there 
sent the sheriff's deputy to our schools to threaten our administrators and threatened to throw them in jail if they didn't abide by what they felt was the interpretation of the governor's toolkit. And this is toward the end of the pandemic about sending kids home and quarantining and stuff. They, they threatened to throw people in jail. So the authoritarianism was real. Now, if I were to mix a chicken soup for you for a second and take it a step further and say, if you're looking at the progressive left is very good at learning what you are willing to tolerate. And they knew in the 80s and early 90s that socialism was never going to sell. They knew there were a couple things that have to happen. They, they really do like, because in capitalism, you know, it, it rewards success. The market rewards success that investors and, and anybody can benefit from that. With, with socialism, the people at the top, the people in the government, in the party, you know, socialism is like communism light in some ways. And that they like that because they have the grasp on power. They're in government. They have the power. Then they have the means. It's like John Kerry skirting around in a plane. But what they learned in the 80s and 90s was that socialism didn't work, but that global warming, at the time it was climate change, that does. Climate change is very effective at achieving socialist aims because it eventually means that you put enough governments into the control of energy. If you control energy, you control the means of production. You control the economy vis-a-vis environmental policies. So the left said, ah, okay, the public will tolerate this if I restrict their ability to have energy or I make energy expensive, I make gasoline more expensive, I force them to buy EVs. There's a lot I can do to restrict your freedoms under the auspices of I'm saving the planet. You take it a step further, they learned that socialized medicine was not what people would accept. So when Obamacare came around, I know a lot of people on the right said, oh, it's socialism, it's socialism. No, it wasn't. It's incremental socialism. It's a, it's a ratchet in that direction. So what you do is you put people, you move more and more people to this government-run healthcare website, you subsidize that, you at the simultaneously expand Medicaid, you expand government programs, you're incrementally moving people toward the acceptance of socialized medicine. It's a very beautiful, it, it, you have to admire the simplicity with which Americans are led to their own, you know, the slaughter of their freedom willingly. You're leading them. Uh, a temple granted uh, the one that helped design slaughterhouses they they she found that you know animals are less stressed if there's kind of smooth walls and circles and and not these straight lines and squares there's less and a less stressed animal it's a more peaceful you know way to be slaughtered and that's a that's a totally different subject but it's analogous to us willingly i mean who would have thought that that people would have embraced permanent masking as a way to think they're protecting themselves, and they don't even read the directions on the box that say it probably doesn't help you. And and yet, you know, then they have designer cloth masks, which are worse, but they still believe that somehow they've protected themselves. And what they've really done is they've restricted their own freedom willingly, not even by force of law anymore, but willingly done so. And so with respect to the caller, I think the left learns very well the tolerance that we have and what we're willing to give up and the speed with which we're willing to give it up. And they're very good at playing a long game. They don't look at it as a revolution. They don't want to do it like the French you know, revolution happened or like happened in Venezuela or Cuba. They don't need to do it. If they can get you to willingly give up your freedoms, why would they need to have any kind of coup? If I can just legislate your way away from freedom, what do I have to worry about?
And 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 that's my big if I my cautionary tale isn't that America will fall all at once. It's that it falls slowly. And I look at where we were and in some ways I like that we've made tremendous advances. We're not a racist country. We're not a sexist country. We're not a homophobic country. We're not. You just don't you don't see that. You don't see that. And 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 there are ish when things happen with racism or sexism or any of those, they they make it to the front page, but we're not that country. But what the left is convincing us of is that we need more. I mean, they, they've done a great job with Social Security, convincing us that that is the way we make it to retirement. Into it. It just won't work that way. So, again, it's hard to have. That's why when you have a disruptor like a Donald Trump, and, and for, for to a lesser extent, Ron DeSantis, and to a far lesser extent, I think Nikki Haley is more the Washington, D.C. Republican. She's still far better than Biden, but she's the, a, a perfect D.C. Republican. But when you have a disruptor, that's why they are such a threat, because they can disrupt all of that that's happened in D.C. They can disrupt, and unfortunately for the left, they can bring a lot of Republicans with them down that path. They will say, we're tired of that. We need to break this. And unfortunately, the reality is for us to restore the kind of freedoms. I mean, I was amazed after 9-11 how many of us were willing, and 9-11 was a horrific event in American history, how many of us were completely willing, with George Bush at the helm, were completely willing to create a brand new government program with virtually unlimited powers to constrain and control your ability to get from plane. So it made, it made flying much more arduous. When we know there's technology that can make flying safe without all of that, we know. We know. Why do we know? Because the Israelis have had it for decades. The Israelis have a beautiful system that's not nearly as intrusive, that has done a remarkable job in a place where there's a lot of people who don't like each other of making airline travels. I've gone through it. It's an amazing. You don't even realize the level of security checks you probably went through by the time you got on an aircraft there. We could have studied that, but instead we create this. And then we create a class system where certain people can go through faster than others, and there's three or four different versions of that, and we create a class system of travel, not just first class in the plane, but first class in getting through security uh, with pre-check. I've done it. Doesn't mean I think I'm better than anybody else. I just went through a paid an extra fee to get ahead. All right. Do the current world events have you wondering whether we are teetering on the edge of catastrophe? Are you concerned it's going to reach our shores? Okay, so what are you doing about your concerns? Let me help. Carolina Readiness Supply at carolinareadiness.com. Whether you're looking to expand your emergency preparedness supplies or you have no idea where to even begin, Carolina Readiness Supply can help you. Food, water purifiers, tools, first aid kits, instructional materials, camping and hiking supplies even. Because being prepared is just smart. Carolina Readiness Supply has 2,000 square feet of supplies and educational materials that you'll need for any kind of emergency. In Waynesville and always at carolinareadiness.com, veteran-owned Carolina Readiness Supply. Will you be ready when the lights go out? Now, I do want to get to the beaver story. I don't know how I'll wrap things up, but I want to get to the beaver story because I want to make sure I don't forget it. And I did want to get to the rising superbugs. This is just something I don't mean to alarm you. This is not meant, but it's a Michael Daly over Real Clear Health. They've got something called antimicrobial resistance, refers to a phenomenon where germs like bacteria and fungi are able to develop the ability to defeat antibiotics. Now, you know this. We all are familiar with resistant 
strains of different things. And, and part of that is because for the past 50 years, a lot of physicians have over-prescribed antibiotics. They'll give it to people for uh, viruses that those will do nothing for. They'll give them to people who, uh, at the wrong time, wrong immune system. And so those bugs learn to be resistant to those antibiotics that are very traditional and can kill you. In the U.S., more than 2.8 million antibiotic-resistant infections occur annually, leading to over 35,000 deaths just in the U.S. The AMR, which is the term you use for antimicrobial resistance, places a significant burden on local healthcare system. The U.S. lost progress combating this, in part due to the rise of COVID, increased antibiotic use to treat the virus, to treat the virus, which did nothing, led to a sharp uptick of resistant infections, and hospitals saw more healthcare-associated resistant infections. So by 2050, the UN, someone who not many of us trust anyway, estimates that up to 10 million deaths globally could be caused by resistant infections matching the annual global death rate of cancer, by the way. So to help address this, this is interesting because when we look through, government helps cause this problem because in nature... Germs don't care about government. They evolve. They evolve to survive. They evolve rapidly. They evolve quicker than our bureaucracies allow us to deal with many of them. So there's, they're trying to legislate a way through this to help address this and safeguard the public. Congress has an opportunity to effectively address. I'm not saying I agree with this because I'd like to examine it more. But they're calling it the pioneering antimicrobial subscription to end upsurging resistance. Nothing like the Pasteur, named after Louis Pasteur, but that's what the acronym stands for. It's bipartisan that would incentivize innovative drug development targeting life-threatening infections and improving the appropriate use of antibiotics. It's critical to ensuring that our communities are adequately prepared because right now there's really not a lot of money to be made in developing new antibiotics because we only use those alternative ones if the conventional ones don't work. So new antibiotics are not designed to be widely prescribed and are instead only used for those specific ones, meaning that many antibiotic developers might not even get the money back because of what it takes to get a new antibiotic to market. The hill is steep and the return very low. We find that with a lot of drugs. There's no real money in cures because, well, how do you recoup how do you recoup it? Unless you make the cure, you know, insanely expensive because it's so expensive. And while we beat up on drug companies at the same time, it the government makes it much more difficult to bring a drug to market. Just wanted to throw that out there, just uh, so you're aware that is becoming more and more of a problem, and it, it will probably touch somebody you know. Hopefully not, but probably will. Now, let's talk about beavers. Why would Chad, in his final couple of segments, talk about beavers? And it's weird, because beavers traditionally are pain for cities, counties, communities, farmers, everybody. Usually spend a lot of money getting rid of these little, these little rodents. Now, the Kingdom phylum class order family genus species of these wonderful critters. Yeah, they are rodents. The rodents are classified as critters whose teeth never stop growing. So they grow and they grow and so they have to gnaw like squirrels and rats. Rodents chew on things forever. That's why they're so destructive. For the first time in four centuries, it's good to be a beaver. This is from Wired.com. Long persecuted for their pelts, or excuse me, yeah, persecuted for their pelts and reviled as pests, the dam building rodents are today hailed by scientists as ecological saviors. What's bad is good again. Filter out pollutants, furnish habitat for endangered species, and fight wildfires. So Smokey Bear says only you, well, I guess and beavers can fight wildfires. In California, Castor 
canadensis is so prized that the state recently committed millions to the restoration of beavers. While beavers' benefits are indisputable, however, our knowledge remains riddled with gaps. We don't know how many there are out there or which direction their populations are trending or which watersheds most desperately need them. Few states have systematically surveyed them. Moreover, many beaver ponds are tucked into remote streams, far from human settlements where they're near impossible to count. There's so much we don't know about beavers, said a researcher at the University of Minnesota. So what they're doing, the short version of this, is they're using satellites, using satellite imagery to, to spot where beavers are. Who, who knew? Now, you think if they can spot beavers, how much they can do on you and spy on you. Let, let's start uh, a lot about beavers starting to change. Over the past several years, a team of beaver scientists and Google engineers have been teaching an algorithm. Think of these bloody algorithms, man. To spot the rodent's infrastructure on satellite imagery. Their creation has the potential to transform our understanding of these engineers. They are the engineers of the animal kingdom, after all, and help climate-stressed states like California. And while the model hasn't yet gone public, researchers are already salivating over the potential. All of our efforts in the state should be taking advantage of this powerful mapping tool, the beaver mapping model. Bum, bum, bum. does sound like an interesting thing. The beaver mapping model is the brainchild of a former member of Google's real estate sustainable group. And they started looking at this. Corin's beaver obsession met, that's his guy's name, uh, met a receptive corporate culture, Google, uh, corporate culture google's employees are famously encouraged to devote time to passion project this is one of those after discussing the concept with google's engineers and programmers they decided to reach out and figure out a way to do that the critters were such talented firefighters that they half jokingly proposed that the u.s forest service change its mammal mascot goodbye smoky bear to the smoky beaver yes only you and the beavers can prevent forest fires so when they're mapping, what they're thinking they can do is find out where all these beavers are, possibly expand their territory because they're magnificent at building watersheds on their own. You don't have to pay a work crew to do it. They do it on their own. And the more water you have access to, the easier it is to deal with fires. They also do a good job of kind of chunking into forestry and getting some dead trees and other trees down. So it's going to be interesting to see what we can do. Now, no comment, by the way, as I'm reading the entire article, they didn't say beavers are suffering because of climate change. I thought that was pretty good news. You know, of all the critters out there, beavers not suffering from climate change? But, but just wait, someone will say, the poor, distressed climate change beavers. But we'll find out. So there's also a program, and I'm not going to get into it because it would go eager to go with beavers, so it's an eager beaver program, and it's another acronym. So many of the days of our lives are not memorable, are they? We go through it and go, oh, what happened on Tuesday, May 12th of last year? I have no idea. Now, if you had one of those photographic didactic memories, I guess, you know, that would be pretty cool. Mary Lou Henner from Taxi had one of those. And it could remember the weather of every day of her life virtually. It was a pretty, or does, I guess she still does. But wouldn't it be neat if you, you kind of had that recall? Now, in what ways tragic things would also be there? One of the issues when they interview folks like that is that they also remember all the bad things and they remember them as vividly as they do all the good memories. And so you have to wonder, maybe it's a way we protect ourselves from remembering everything. Now, <laughs> one of the things I'll add as we finish up here in this final segment and appreciation to all of you, it's been an absolute pleasure, is that even though we've had a record number of border encounters, the Biden administration's answer to this and, and it, it will come as no surprise, is they're looking to expand the legal pathways for migration. In other words, they're looking for amnesty. 
Now, maybe the Democrats are reading the writing on the walls that their party's going the way of the dinosaur, and they figure the only way to replenish the ranks is to get people, let them in that are very thankful for Biden and make all them all of them Democrats, make voters out of all of them. I, I'm, and I'm not asserting, I'm not that much of a conspiracy nut, but it does not surprise me that we now have like 30, or I don't even know, 10, 10 plus million. We had about 10 or 12 million as of the end of the 90s, early 2000s. So we've added several million since then that were not necessarily lawfully in this country. And it, it that is alarming. I, I don't know where we go with that. So even if we were to shut down the border today, what do you do with the millions that are here? We have three million that are supposed to come back for hearings. They won't. They won't. They'll never. They'll be ne- There'll be never shows. And that's that's a sad way to kind of finish out the new year there. Uh, n- nobody wants that, but giving amnesty isn't necessarily the, the best way to, to go with it either. Um, it's just kind of uh, kind of a shame. Now, on an upbeat, a couple deals that you may not be aware of. These are not paid-for deals, but uh, a lot of folks are doing kind of New Year's specials out there, people like Denny's or McDonald's. stuff. Here's a couple of them that are out there if you're looking. This is kind of to add levity to the end of the situation here. Two strips of bacon, eggs, sausage, and buttermilk pancakes from Denny's, $5.99. It's available Saturday. It's celebrating National Bacon Day. Believe it or not, that's tomorrow. The original Grand Slam for $5.99, also available on New Year's Eve, New Year's Day, and throughout the winter. 7-Eleven has some stuff for those of you who go there. I'm not necessarily going to go shop at 7-Eleven for food, but two cheeseburger sliders for 3 bucks, garlic farm meatballs for 3 bucks. Cruising on down to the McDonald's app has updated there. They've added squish mallows. That's the big gift for the kids out there to the Happy Meals. And most of the change restaurants are open New Year's Eve and New Year's Day. So if you're looking out there, newcomers can download the app and automatically get a free large order of fries with a $1 purchase. Make sure to look for the other deals on the app. A lot of those expire. Taco Bell through December or through tomorrow. Uh, party pack at the Taco Bell app, get 10% off. That's not that big a deal. I'm trying to look at anything good there at Taco Bell. Eh, a few dollars off, different orders, a different side, Uber uh, Baskin-Robbins. 31% off deal of its scoops. Duncan has $2 off medium latte with purchase or get a free medium cup with any purchase. Starbucks. Now, I'm always amazed. I'll say this, and I'll get in trouble with part of the audience. I don't mean to, but I know I will because some of you are defotees of that particular cult. I was amazed. And here's where the crossroads of Starbucks got into my mental state. I I've, I love to travel. One of my favorite things, I was on a cruise ship. And on this cruise ship, you can get all the free coffee you want. You can get free coffee, get your drinks, get all the food you want. And they have a Starbucks on the ship. And I was astounded when I went downstairs and I'm cruising through the cruise ship. And I look and Starbucks has a mile long line of people paying seven, eight dollars for a flipping cup of coffee from Starbucks. Now, I don't know if they've lost their senses. They're brainwashed. I don't, there's no, I mean, I love coffee, love to make it, love to make different kinds of coffee, love to make espresso, lungos, all of them. But there's no Starbucks coffee in the world that would I would not want to waste my time on vacation. This was further exacerbated when I was in Florida. I was in a stunning place in Florida, and it had a coffee shop inside this hotel, this amazing hotel. Coffee was fantastic, plus the coffee in the hotel was free. And then right next door was a Starbucks. Inside the hotel was a Starbucks. People lined up. It's become a cult. You folks, I don't know, and I don't mean any judgment here. I feel bad for you that you would waste your life standing in line to feed a company that many of you disagree with politically. 
And you know you're kind of at the end of the universe with the number of sheer number of Starbucks coffees that are out there all over the place. But you can get a whole 50% off a drink from noon to 6 p.m. on Friday, today, until 6 p.m. Also, Starbucks for Life game, which ends the 31st. You can get on that one. Uh, and, and you know what? Even at 50% off, Starbucks still more expensive than most coffee shops. It's just that. Now, now if you want to gain a little bit of weight before you get on that exercise kit, go to Krispy Kreme, two dozen for $20. You remember when Krispy Kreme knows were like, you know, $4 a dozen? Now it's excited if you can get two dozen for 2024. The year is 2024, so you can get two dozen donuts for $20.24. Also, get a free donut when you sign up for their rewards. Yeah, I love. And in Raleigh, by the way, they had the Krispy Kreme challenge. If you ever do that, it's a 5K. You run half the 5K, eat a dozen donuts, and then do the rest of the 5K. It's one of the most bizarre events that you could ever do. So, a lot. Of, just check out. A lot of people having special deals. I do hope that no matter what you do to live, thrive, and survive out there, that you take care of yourself in the coming year. Take care of those around you. Appreciate the time that you have, and. Because it's so easy. I'll say one. Neil Gehrman had a really good, great, a great quote. And it's kind of a good way for us to finish. Now, I'm going to say it. I don't mean for this. I don't want you to go out and do stupid stuff. But I'll say that I hope that in the year to come, you make mistakes. Because if you are making mistakes and you're making new things, you're trying new things, you're learning, living, pushing yourself, you're changing yourself, you're changing your world, you're doing things you've never done before. More importantly, you're doing something. So that's my wish for you and all of us and my wish for myself. Make new mistakes. Make glorious, amazing mistakes. Make mistakes nobody's ever made before. Don't freeze. Don't stop. Don't worry that it isn't good enough or it isn't perfect. Whatever it is, art or love or work or family or life, whatever it is you're scared of doing, do it. Make your mistakes next year and forever because life is short and this is me. Comes at you hard and fast and then you get to the end. Don't waste that time. It's been an honor and pleasure, folks. Chad, I'm signing off for Pete Callender. He'll be back bright and early in 2024, which is next week. Have a fantastic weekend.